James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. And it says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So James, quite the encourager, picks up yet another passage to, to correct us and, and to fix our thinking. And, and I'm going to tell you from the outset that this is a tough one for me. Um, because it makes total sense to me what I see in verse 13. I am a planner, I'm a strategist, I am one who likes to think through this step, followed by this step, and all the repercussions, so step back to do this one. Like, I play chess, and so for every move that you're going to make on a chessboard, then I'm anticipating what these other moves could possibly be, and then if that happens, like, I like to think three to four um, steps in advance, or three to four plays in advance before I ever move that one single pawn. Like that's just how my brain thinks. Before I say yes here, I want to make sure I know what's going to happen here and here. And not just in chess, but in life as well. So 13 makes total sense to me. And then 14 makes total sense to me. And so this passage is really for, uh, you know what? Going back to our time of prayer that we just had, I really think that 13 through 17 really is a great correction for us. It's just interesting for me how, how God continues to do that over and over. Because whenever you think about uh, expository preaching and taking a book of the Bible and preaching through it, there's this, this misconception, I think, well, then that's got to be boring because what do you do with all those words and verses that don't apply to my life? I've actually had people say, that just doesn't sound like that intriguing. It doesn't sound that exciting. I'm like, well, you've never done it before then, because it is. And it's really neat to see how whenever we as elders pray and we're thinking through, through the books and we, we do plan this, this series out, how God has so sovereignly lined up certain passages with certain parts of our lives uh, as, and for our particular congregation. But let's take a look at that. James is going gonna, gonna to tell us the situation. He's going to give us our correction, and then he's going to give us the caution that we need to move through. So that first part, the situation, what is the situation that he's looking at? Verses 13 and 14. And he says that this is, this is really the problem. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so here's the, here's the problem, just so you know, from the very beginning, you'll hear me say this again later. The problem is not that people plan. The problem is that people plan without God in mind. That's his concern. Okay, so just so you know, well, I don't need to be a planner. I'm going to cover that. No, absolutely we should. But we need to always make sure that God is at the center of all of that. But this was actually something going on. See that phrase there at the very beginning of 13, come now you who say... Like, come now was a very pointed direction. Like, he's been talking to 
all the Christians who were scattered into the dispersion at the time. And then he's kind of honing in on the very specific one saying, okay, now those of you who are saying this right now in this moment, like you look at the tenses in the original language, you look at the, the original language, and it's very direct. Hey, those of you who are actively doing this right now, you need to listen to this. And then he quotes them. Now, I don't know about you, but look at 13, and, and I'm, I'm looking around the room, so I, and I know some of your personalities, but doesn't 13 sound right? You know what, this week, we don't say it today or tomorrow, we're going to go do this or this and make a trade and a profit. We do something like this. Okay, so this week, we got to make sure that we get this and this done, um, and if we do that and we... Um, we plan in that way, then that's going to let us get this done also. And by the way, we also need to be implementing this budget so that we can be putting a certain amount back so that, you know, in five or 10 years time, we can live in this way or we can make that progress. We talk more like that. We, we don't talk like this, but, but we need to hear this, right? We, we need to hear this. But I'm just going to tell you on the planner side of me, this makes sense because look, they had it all figured out. Today or tomorrow, they had a time frame, okay, when this was going to start. We will go into such and such a town. They had a place where they were going. They had the destination figured out. And spend a year there. They had a time span of how long this would, how long it would last. And trade and make a profit. They had a business model. I mean, they executed this to a T. All right? I want to answer this. If he's speaking negatively about it, isn't it wise for us to have a plan? Absolutely. Y'all listen to Luke 14, verses 28 through 31. And then I'm going to give you about three or four more, and they're going to be in Proverbs. But listen to Luke first. But first you need to know this. Believers are called to live wise lives and make plans. We are. Okay? So I'm not saying just, you know, frolic through life and get carried along in the wind. Not at all. Luke 14, this is Jesus speaking. He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And it's really a call to, to count the cost to consider. We're going to be in Proverbs quite a bit, so hold your place in James and then go ahead and open up Proverbs because there's, there's a lot in Proverbs about this. Proverbs 21. I want you to see that, yes, you should be making plans. I want you to see that, that, uh, that it's not foolish or anti-Christian um, to make plans. In fact, Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. So when you diligently plan, it will lead to abundance. There's good in planning. It then goes on in 21, through 21 verse 5 to say, But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Okay, so those who are just trying to do the, the get-rich-quick scheme, like it's just going to lead to poverty. And there's different avenues to quick riches, quick wealth. He says it will lead to poverty. If not poverty of wealth and, and finances, then poverty of spirit. But we should be diligent in our planning, absolutely. Proverbs 15.22 says this. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. 
The context of all that is that we should be making plans. But if, if I make a plan on my own, then it is going to fail. Without counsel, plans fail. This is why you need a plurality of elders and biblical godly leaders over the church because if one person is making the decisions and one person is making the plans, then it can and will lead to failure. But with many advisors, many, they will succeed. There should be plans and those plans should be practiced with others and there should be insight from others. In fact, I have a note right beside my computer screen in my office if you were to walk... Um, down the hallway here, and it, the, the question I ask myself is, would I be wise or would I be a fool? Because the foolish do not seek others' advice, but the wise are willing to listen. It's all about how we plan and how we think. Proverbs 24, 27. It's just a clear declaration, a clear um, um, statement that we need to make plans. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Right? So if you're going to build a house, make all the plans accordingly. If you're going to do something in the future, if you're, if you're building towards something, you need to be making the plans. So I want you to hear that at the very, very beginning, that there is a biblical mandate that wise living will lead us to make plans. That is not unbiblical to plan. So then what is faith? Well, what if God provides this or that? Now you're beginning to ask the right questions, right? How does faith play into the plans that we make? So I want you to hear that. You absolutely should be making plans. Um, you need to count the cost. You need to consider the time of things going on in life. You need to budget wisely. You need to plan accordingly so that your life um, reflects that you have godly wisdom and you need to work hard. That's all of that tied together um, into to one nice little package. And there are tons of verses on this. One of the practices I make, by the way, is whatever book I'm reading in the Bible, um, which I'm probably about to be one of the prophets because I just finished up Hebrews. But whenever I get to one of these prophets, I'm also going to be reading the proverb of the day. So uh, today is, is what day? April, April 18th. So I would be reading Proverbs 18 today. And then tomorrow I'm going to be reading Proverbs 19. And then then I might miss a couple of days in my Proverbs because life gets busy. And I'm going to keep this reading over here. But what I found in Proverbs is that and whenever that happens, I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick it up on the 21st. I'm going to just read Proverbs 21. Whatever day of the month it is, I read that Proverbs. There is good, biblical, wise wisdom that God has passed down in the book of Proverbs. And you can read it over and over. And you keep finding another two or three verses that just speak to you in that moment. So I would encourage you to do that. If you're not anywhere, at least pick up Proverbs. As you do it, you will see that there's plenty about planning. And then as you're going to see later, there's plenty about trusting the Lord in your plans. All right, so what I want to graciously and humbly say, y'all, is that, that we should be wise, we should make plans, but our problem is, is we tend to operate by the wisdom of the world in our planning and not the humility of the Lord. Right? I want to say that just one more time. Because that's the context of all that James is really trying to push here. That we often do all of our planning with the wisdom of the world and very little of it with the humility of the Lord. And that's the intersection James is trying to get us to consider. Not that we don't make plans, but that we do try to humbly live in the sovereign grace of God that while we make plans, it's all by his operations as well.
If we do not live that way, if we do not, and you're going to hear me say this again and again, live in humble submission to the sovereignty of God. That's, that's what all this is about. If we do not live humbly under the sovereignty of God as we make these plans and we're submissive to his plans, then we begin to make these other plans that, man, they sound great. But y'all, verse 14, we don't even know what tomorrow holds. If verse 13, if we listen to verse 13, you're like me and you're like, hey, that makes total sense. Why wouldn't we be doing that? Then I get to verse 14 and you're like me, you're going, that makes total sense. Why wouldn't we be living according to that? And there's this huge paradox that we make plans and that makes sense. And then we realize that we are but a mist and that makes total sense too. But I do want you to consider this. Like this is, this is a part we've got to kind of scale back. What is it that will happen one hour from now? I mean, like actually just kind of, kind of take that pause. One hour from now, what is going to be happening? 30 minutes from now. Let's shorten our span. 30 minutes from now. And I don't just mean your lives alone, because you're probably processing, well, 30 minutes, he's probably still going to be preaching, because this is Ricky, and he's only got four verses. He's still going to be going. Andy nailed it. Okay, good. But also consider your extended family's life, and the life of your coworkers, and the lives of people that you have not met yet, or that you don't even know that your life is going to intersect with them later. In the next five minutes, how many new lives will be breathed into this world, bringing much joy? And then for some families, much struggle and hardship as that baby takes a new breath. And in the next five minutes, how many lives will be breathing their absolute last, which will bring joy to some who are believers, but then also heartache. And these lives are going on around us in five minutes from now. In this very moment while we speak, new life is being brought into this world by the goodness of God. And then life is being taken from this world by the goodness of God. And none of it is in our sphere of thought. And yet our lives will intersect with these people. Right? We do not know what tomorrow holds, much less what the next five and three minutes holds. And why in the world am I thinking about them? Because these others, not ourselves, are the ones that we're going to be doing ministry to. But I'll just tell you, ministry gets messy. And ministry messes with your plans. And ministry is not what we expect it to look like. But their lives will impact our lives. And that's just a biblical scope. So planning is good, but you have to realize that your temporary life and my temporary life are all in the mix of our temporary planning. So you and I need to realize this, that you and I do not know what the span of our life will be. I did intentionally grab this watch today. Um, this was my grandfather's watch. He passed away from cancer several years ago, and I, I know I've shared that story um, several times over and over. But it was one day, wasn't feeling well, and got a diagnosis, and then six months later, we literally watched this giant of a man wither away to nothing and finally breathe his last breath. And I am thankful that as hard as it was, I got to be there on his final night. And whenever he passed away, they said, what do you want of his? Like, what, how do you want to remember him? And I had two things, the roll-top desk that's in our office and then this watch the batteries of which died not long after he did, and I've never replaced them. It just reminds me. And I do wear it some days to work. Some days I just wake up, and it's my way of remembering Papa. 
Today, it's a reminder to me that, yes, we really don't know what tomorrow holds. We really are but a mist in this life. And so all these plans you and I need to wrestle with that all the worldly wisdom tells us that we are immortal and that we will not die. We always have tomorrow is what the world will tell us. We always have a chance to achieve and make ourselves better. And all the biblical wisdom says, no, you have but a breath and you will die. And so live a godly life right now. As I sit down with people and as I'm trying to to counsel them and they're like, we don't know what we're supposed to, to do with this or that. I would say, yes, but in this one moment right now, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I'm pretty, I'm a simple guy in, in many, many ways. But if the Lord were to return right now, man, I hope he finds me being faithful in that millisecond of a moment. But we tend to think that we have this moment and then we will have other moments. And that's just inborn in our sinful nature. As kids, we believe that we will live forever. And then we become teenager, teenagers and we believe that they will build monuments to who we are. And then we graduate from college and we realize that we don't quite know that much, but we still have at least 20 to 30 years before we reach. Like we have this idea that we will not die. And we know that's true because whenever somebody close to us passes away, what do we tend to say? They left too soon. I don't know why, but at a, at a very young age, God did kind of plant that reality in my life that, that life is actually kind of grim whenever you start thinking about it, that from the moment we're born, we begin to die. <laughs> Pep talk, right? But it's the truth. The, you know, the reality is this may be the last sermon I ever get to preach. This may be the last time that we get together. It might be the last time every day, whenever I tell my family goodbye, it might be the last time I get a chance to do that. I'm not trying to be depressing. I'm just trying to say that we need to have this realistic scope that that's what tomorrow is like for us. We do not know. And that's James's point, is that you make plans, and yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. I wrote here, This is why we must capture every moment and live it for all of the glory of Christ. And I pray that when the Lord calls us home or returns, you and I are living such radically God-glorifying lives because the time is short and unpredictable. And so don't waste your time. Don't waste your life piddling with things that do not matter in the eternal scope. Can you still play Minecraft? Absolutely. Just do it to the glory of God in that moment, right? I'm not saying don't have fun. I'm just saying, y'all, we were meant to have fun. We were meant to have fullness of joy. He said, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. So you don't have to walk around like beating yourself down for the sins and the depravity that we know cling so near us. But what I am saying is that we need to kind of have a realistic scope because I do think that that begins to change how you and I interact with one another and how we live our lives. But the health you have right now, it could be gone tomorrow. Absolutely. So how will then you live for Christ today in this moment? The job that you have right now could be gone tomorrow. Don't say amen. They could be gone tomorrow. But if that's the case, then how will you exalt him where he's put you right now? And the pain that you have right now could be gone tomorrow. 
how will you point others to him through it today? Because today in this moment is what we have. And it's not that we need to avoid suffering, it's that we need to learn how to suffer well to his glory. Otherwise, we miss an opportunity. But the opportunities that we possess today, y'all, are not the promises of tomorrow. We just need to humbly grasp that. That everything that's before us today could absolutely be gone. James says that when we make these plans, and we're, we're planning and we take the, the uncertainty of tomorrow out of it, so we're not also thinking rationally with God in mind, that we do that, verse 16, that we are boasting in our arrogance, which is pride, so I'm going to use pride here, that we boast in our pride, and all pride, all arrogance, all boasting is evil. Y'all, basically he's saying, you act like you know what your life is going to be like tomorrow, and you don't. And the reason you do that is because of your pride. You think you know what next year is going to be like, all these plans you're making for it, and you think you know what that's going to be like, and you don't. And the reason you think that way is because you're proud. Bring that together with last week's message and in the context of this week. Y'all, we should be a people most humbled by the sovereignty of God. The great thing is, is that we don't have to figure it all out anymore. We know he will guide us and lead us and direct us. We just have to be listening in the moment. But we get so planned focused that we don't pause with our families. We don't spend moments doing ministry because we have a plan we have to execute. So, we should be humbly submissive to God's sovereignty. I do believe that that is the fruit of genuine faith. He's just, James is trying to remind us before it's too late of what it would look like. So here's his correction. Verse 14 through 15, he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I know, it's a repeat. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So moving through it uh, kind of systematically as we do. This is what we need to be reminded of. I've already alluded to it, but, but let's just simplify it in this. We can make plans, but we are not God. That's simply it. You are not the God of your life, Christians. We have one God, we serve him, he calls the shots, we don't. To try and call the shots, we make ourselves God, and you and I will never be happy. No wonder so many Christians are weary and worn out. We try to make ourselves gods of our lives. We don't have to sustain for ourselves. We don't have to provide for ourselves. Now, some people are going to mishear me now that I'm thinking about that, because you're missing the context of my full theology. Work hard, be diligent, that's scriptural. But at the same time, know that all the provision in your life is because a good God is providing through those means by which you are honoring him. Does that make sense? Okay, so I don't want you to mishear me. But you and I, we can make plans. But at the end of the day, in that moment, you need to realize, but you're not God and he can do whatever he wants to. And if you don't believe that, call him out on it. He shows up to Job as a whirlwind. And whenever Job says, why? Then God proceeds to tell him over the next chapters, that God doesn't have to answer to him. There's a really cool song I was listening to this morning to kind of wrap my head around this. It's called, Where Were You by Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship is a, a Christian band, I guess. They showed up on Pandora, and I started listening to it. It's amazing. They take um, the, the book, the last four to five chapters of Job, and they put it into verse, and it's really a great way to, to, to think through Job. But there should be a humility that we are not God, and we have to allow ourselves to grasp for that humility. 
Okay, so you need some reminders. You do not have to turn to this. I'm going to do this quickly, but you can jot down the references. Job 7, 7. He says, remember that my life is but a breath. Psalm 78, 39 says that he remembered that we were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. Psalm 102, 3, for my days vanish like smoke. The psalmist says. And in Psalm 144, 4, the psalmist says, Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Job 8, 9 says, For we were born yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are but a shadow. I know, this is an amazing pep talk, y'all. Like, I know, I totally get it. But we have to, we have to wrestle with what it also tells us in Ecclesiastes, that that we need to have a better scope of life. If you haven't read Ecclesiastes, he tells us vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. He, he amasses all the wealth, all the pleasure, and then he realizes that in this world, all the pleasure, all the wealth, everything that he could strive for, all the buildings, all the gardens, all that he could pursue in this life, Solomon was able to do that and accrue all of that wealth and, and happiness of the world to himself, and he still concluded with this, it's all empty. It's all vanity. And so he reminds us in Ecclesiastes that we just need to have a better scope, that we need to live in fear of the Lord and work busily with our hands and pursue him. So this whole idea of live your best life now, I'm not trying to knock it one thing over and over again like a pinata, but I'm saying this whole concept of live your best life now, that mindset is absolutely ridiculous we will never acquire our best life now, nor were we ever to, because our best life is in heaven whenever we are in the presence of God forever and ever. But if we're looking for our best life now, then what do we do whenever tragedy messes up our plans? Y'all, God has established, and in spite of all of, of how small and finite we are, he has still established a certain honor on us. And I want you to hear that. I want to lift us back up real quick. Just consider this. He's established a certain honor us that we should be made in his image. Though we are but a shadow and a passing breath and a mist and a vapor and smoke, even though all of that is true, God still said that I will make you in my image and I will knit you together in your mother's womb and I have purposes and plans for you. He is still mindful of us. The psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of me? Y'all, what a truly great and very compassionate God that he would care so much for you and me. Just to finish out, Psalm 39, 5 says, You indeed, God, have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing before you. Truly, each man at his best exists as but a breath. This is not just James. This is all throughout the Bible. 1 Peter 1.24, last one. All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Man, that's pumped. That's going to get you going in the morning. Like, you will wither and your glory will fade. It's biblical. As Job says, we were born yesterday and we knew nothing and we are but a breath and we are passing away. All of biblical counsel reminds you and me we are temporary. And I'm going to come back and say this is not depressing to me, Cross Life. Like this is actually, it's just truth 
but it's pretty exhilarating to me. No matter how heavy life gets in this moment, it's temporary. All the struggles with sin, it's temporary. All the feuding and the fighting is temporary. All the tears are temporary. Like all the things that keep us up at night and wake us up early in the morning that we stress over is absolutely temporary. Like the negative scope is that it's all temporary. The beautiful scope is that it's all temporary. One day we will be in heaven forever. Praise the Lord that the stress and the things that we deal with in life, no matter how much they break us down, it's temporary. Okay, realistic application of this. Do you know why I'm willing to run a 5K? Because it's temporary. Whenever I get ready to run, which I absolutely hate and find pointless, I just remember it's only 30 minutes and it's only 3.1 or 2 miles. I can do that. Like, that's the reason I can do it. A marathon? No, it's not happening, ever. That's on a podcast, which is on the internet. So that can just go like in the books. You're not going to see me running. Now I'm probably going to get like roped into one and I'm going to have to like recant that. But, but I want you to get that scope. Think about it. We can endure a lot of things that we don't enjoy because we know they're temporary. Put that, put that into the planning of life. There are, a lot of, that there are a lot of things that we can endure because we know that it is temporary within the scope of a temporary life. If our life is but a mist and that's temporary, then how much more temporary is that stressor that's in our moment of life right now? So just kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a good perspective for me. But in our lives, one day that temporary mist will stop and we will then face the judgment which has been for Christians visited on Christ so that all we can know is grace. But we will still have to give an account of our lives. So let's, let's scale back here. Are we making those plans, right? Are the budgets, the plans for our life, for our career? Things like, are we making all of those in light of the pride of our lives or under the humble submission of God's sovereignty? I want you to, I hope you're still camped in Proverbs. If not, get back to Proverbs. I'm going to give you three verses, um, and then we're going to come back to James. Just to show you that, that while, I, while we looked at the Proverbs mandate, that it's biblical to plan and have good, sound wisdom in it, I also want you to see some of the balance from Proverbs. Proverbs 16.1. And I just picked a few out of this, uh, out of Proverbs. Proverbs 16.1. The plans of the heart... Right? The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So you do all your planning you want, but at a certain point, God's sovereign will will have its way. We got to be ready for that. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That one was really hard for me to wrestle with. It doesn't say don't plan. It says that God has put it in our heart to make plans. But we also need to understand that the Lord is the one who establishes the steps. And then Proverbs 19.21. And again, you can do a study of this all throughout Proverbs and the rest of the Bible. But Proverbs 19.21 is where we should kind of have some peace. Many, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That's what James is trying to correct. James is just trying to say, you make all your plans, but 
Are you trusting that it's going to be the Lord's plans that stand? And are you okay with that? But whenever we remember really how small we are and how grand God is, then that kind of starts to make sense. We're small in the scope that we need to make plans, but in in all of creation, there is a sovereign, eternal God who holds all things in his hands. He is that massive, that grand. We need to be willing to submit to him. But y'all, there's a happy release in all of this, okay? There's a happy release that we are not God. So what's the solution? Go to verse 15. He says, here's what you should be saying. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If he wills, then we will do it. That one's pretty easy for me to understand. I think the question becomes this. All right, so am I supposed to say that like every time? Like, do I have to always say, if the Lord wills, out loud? That was actually tackled in a lot of the commentaries. They spent time on, should we say that out loud or not? Simply, yes and no. Okay, so just just put it right here. I think that James's point is not that you say it all the time out loud. Otherwise, look at the rest of the New Testament and all of Paul's planning. He only says it a couple of times, and other times he doesn't say it. So, I think we should be saying it in our hearts, and that should be how we're oriented. But I don't think that every time that I talk to Jared, I should be saying, if the Lord wills, I'll send you a Marco Polo tomorrow. And if the Lord wills, I'll see you at baseball. And if the, like, I don't think we have to say it all the time, but the tenor of our hearts should be that. That if the Lord wills, we will. But if he doesn't, we won't. That said, imagine the opportunity you have whenever unbelievers and other believers are listening to you whenever you say, yeah, if the Lord wills, this is what we plan on doing. Because what do unbelievers hear? that you're submitting fully to whatever God wills. You might have an open door by simply vocalizing that. So I come back more on the yes side, but not all the time. I mean, just put it on a t-shirt and then everybody will know that that's why you live is if the Lord wills. All right, so are you willing to say, if the Lord wills with our plans, this is what we will do. The sin of this passage is not that they made plans, y'all. This is where it all comes in. The sin of the passage is that they made all these plans without God in the midst of it. That's what James is trying to say. You don't have to say it every time. Every Facebook post doesn't have to have it. But you need to know in your heart that these are the plans if God allows you to do so. And so there's sort of a a humble obedience, a humble submission that will come under his sovereignty. And it all comes together right there in James. And I believe that genuine faith totally accepts that. Whenever we don't totally accept that, then we begin to wrestle with who really is the God and who is the master of our lives. Are we God or is he God and who gets to make the final call? And so there's a caution, which is in verse 17. And this is a very quick point. Y'all, I love verse 17. It simplifies so many questions that so many people debate. Verse 17 So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Ricky, is it a sin to do this? Is it the right thing? Uh, I don't know. I feel convicted. Okay, it's sin, right? If you know, if God's put it on your heart, if it's your conviction, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, then yes, it is sin. Now, the immediate context here is he's reminding them and he's reminding us, okay, if you know this, 
If you know to keep God at the center of all of your planning and all of your life oriented around the temporary existence we have in the midst of his eternal existence, if, if you know all that and you don't do it, then it's sin. So this is sin, just like jealousy, just like, oh, I put a list. Okay, just like lying, stealing, favoritism, lust, jealousy, gossiping, adultery. So is making plans without God orientation at the very center of it all. James just pulled it all into that canon. That makes me uncomfortable, right? Because I need that ounce of humility, that, that, that ton of humility that says, not my will, but yours. And yet while I'm here, I feel like this is what you're leading me to do. Okay, verse 17 also opens the doors for two things. Then we'll read one more passage and then we're done. It really points out that there are two types of sin. There's what we call a sin of commission and a sin of omission. And, and I'm, I'm really just kind of pushing into this, but I, I think you and I need this. A sin of commission is, these are the sins that we do. We commit these things. And I, I gave you a list earlier. I'll, I'll read them out again. Um, we do lie. We still, we show favoritism. We lust. We are jealous. We gossip. We commit adultery. We do, like these are things that we do, right, actively. That's what we call a sin of commission. We committed the act. James 17 cautions us, though, with this, that there are sins of omission. And a sin of omission, these are sins because of what we do not do. It is sin not to do what we should be doing. For example, just using James, if we do not care for the widows and orphans, it is sin. If we do not care for the poor, it is sins. It is sin. If we do not make plans according to what God has put in front of us and in light of his sovereignty, then it is sin. If we do not humble ourselves, it is sin. So sin of omission, these are the sins that we do not commit. I'm sorry, these are acts that we do not commit, therefore they are sin. Here's the best way to show it. Go to Matthew 25. This is our last passage. So you can turn there and camp there. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46 the great judgment. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Listen at the end, because it's going to be the sins of omission that become their judgment. All right, we're familiar with the passage, but I want you to listen, sins of commission, sins of omission, Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, praise God that, one, that that will happen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd, uh, a shepherd, a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed in my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the King Jesus will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now look at the next ones. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. By the way, that's the purpose of hell and the eternal fire. The purpose was and is to punish the devil and his angels. That's, the, that's why it exists. And yet men and women go there willingly. He says, for I, here's why they're departing. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. Right? Sin of omission. I was thirsty and you, you gave me no drink. Sin of omission. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not come to visit me. Everything that you did not do was sin. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. And he will say, truly, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The reason I like James, verse 17 right there, is simply because he reminds us, he kind of puts a, a bow at the end of that passage, but it does also remind us that we're also guilty for those things which we don't do. It's not just that which we do, it's that which we don't do, and that absolutely parallels what we see in Matthew 25. All right, so, so let's pull all this to a conclusion. I think Psalm 90:12 is great wisdom for us. The psalmist says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. In other words, to know that it's short so that we can have a heart of wisdom. That's what you and I need, a heart of wisdom. That was Psalm 90, verse 12. Y'all, you and I need to remember that we are but dust. So now how in the world is that loving for me to remind you that you have a temporary life? It's because of this, that the burdens that you and I carry and a lot of the plans towards provision and success, those are not the burdens that you and I were meant to carry. We're meant to cast them on him. He says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And when we're not casting them on one another, left to right, though we should bear one another's burdens, but we're casting them on the one God who stands beyond all of eternity and who can provide for every need that we absolutely have. He says, cast all of your anxieties on me, because I don't know if you've experienced the same thing as I have, but when I began to cast my anxieties on him, I really do feel that those anxieties leave me because there is a good father on the other side of that receiving it, saying, yes, I've got this, and you were never meant to carry this anyway. And I'm going to encourage you to not read these and become lazy and flippant either. Because I don't think that that's, there should not be any laziness or loss of passion. That's not the appropriate response to these. In fact, we should be tooling and working hard. That's all the counsel and canon of scripture telling us that. He's just saying, make sure you do it with the right scope. And then I'm going to ask number three, consider Christ who did not pursue his own desires and plans, but he prayed even that the cup would pass from him. He prayed that if it were God's will, and if it were possible, that the cup would pass from him, and yet Jesus submitted to God's will and not his own. And because of his humble submission to the sovereign goodness of God, you and I are now forgiven co-heirs of Christ forever and ever. Charles Spurgeon, y'all know me, I don't, I don't tell many stories in my sermons. I, I know that Jesus told stories, but he's a better storyteller than I am. Okay, so I don't try stories. 
But this is a great illustration from Charles Spurgeon, and then we'll pray. All of this is Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, A little bird of the air found itself in a church. It was anxious to find its way into the open air, and so it flew aloft among the great timbers of the roof, where it was half buried and almost blinded by the dust that lay thick upon the beams. There were no seeds, nor fruit, nor water in that dry and thirsty height. It then made a dash at a window, glorious with many colors, but it found no way of escape. It tried again and again, and at last dropped, stunned upon the pavement of the aisle. And when it recovered itself a little, it did not fly again aloft. But seeing the door open upon the level of the floor, it joyfully flew through it into the open country. And then Spurgeon goes on and says, You, you are that bird. Your pride makes you deal with high things up there in the roof. Among the lofty mysteries, you are blinding yourself, and there is no escape for you there, nor rest, nor even life. You seek a way through the glory of your own painted righteousness, but this will be the death of you if you persevere. So drop down upon the floor of honest confession and lowly penitence. Come to the ground by self-humiliation. And when you get lower ideas of yourself, you will see just before you the open door, which is Christ Jesus. As soon as you see him, use the wings of a simple faith and you are at liberty and no more captive doomed to die. May God bring you down that he may exalt you in due time for Christ's sake. And that one to me just really kind of pulled it all to a head. But like a bird flitting up here in, in the rafters, trying to find a way out. That's what all of our high planning really is. When if we would just humble ourselves and be low, God will show us the way he wants us to go. If the Lord wills, should be the tenor of our heart. Lord, thank you for your word. and Thank you for your correction in my life. And Lord, for all of us, with life so busy and life so heavy, and life so joyful and life so abundant, may we always remember very somberly that you are God, and we are not. And you can and will do with us what you will. And one day, we will be in your presence forever, and all of this will pass away. And we will see the futility of so many missed moments in life that you gave us for our joy, for our growth, for our sanctification, for our laughter. Lord, help us not to be so, so purpose-driven, Lord, that we forget who you are in our lives. Amen.